Uh, I'm the student director here at CORE, which means I get to oversee our middle school and high school ministry transit and inside out. And you've probably heard me say this before because I really, truly believe it, that I have the most fun job here. Like my job is the best. I get to plan crazy fun events and weekend retreats and camps, and it is just awesome. And shameless plug, if you are a middle school or high school student, or if you have or know a middle school or high school student, really transit and inside out. Those environments are the place to be. And it's possible that if you are a student or have a student that has not engaged in one of those environments because maybe they felt like it was hard to fit in or, or they don't have any friends back there or they're just unsure about it, um, I just want to challenge you to try again. I just want to push you, whether you're the parent that's encouraging your child or whether you are the child, I just, I just want to ask you to try again. Because I really believe that back there, what we do, it is the best thing for middle school students and high school students to be, to be connected with a group of students who is the same age as other students and, and to be like hearing God's word and, and how it's relevant for those students and how they can apply it to their life. I think that's what's best for students in middle school and in high school. And so, again, my just shameless plug as a student director to, to just give it a try because we want you back there, and, and I don't think that you will regret it. Uh, you probably heard that two weeks ago we took a group of 25 high school students, 25 from our church, and we went with another church, and they took about 50 students. We had about 75 high school students up. We drove three hours north. Um, to Hillsdale, Michigan, Camp Machindo for Vertical Reality. It is our high school retreat that we've now done for the second year in a row, a Friday and a Sunday type of deal. Um, and it's super fun. The, the, the kids, don't, they don't get any sleep. Okay, that's just how it is. I'm never going to use the word restful in the promo again, um, like in the little weekly, never again, because they don't sleep, so that's a lie. But they have a really good time, and what I really love about Vertical Reality is that each year we focus on a different like spiritual discipline or faith habit or practice, which is super cool because if you are familiar with any sort of student camp or retreat, you know that it's like, okay, these students go to camp and, and then at the end everyone cries and it's super emotional and we're like, yes, we love God, Jesus. And then you come home and then it's like back to normal. Pretty typical. If you've been to one, you kind of know what I'm talking about. But for VR, when we focus on a spiritual discipline or faith habit, we are giving these students practical and tangible ways that they can come home and implement what they just learned in their life so that not just Sundays when they show up to our environments, but Monday through Saturday, they can be growing in their relationship with God and taking next steps and growing in their faith. And so last year at Vertical Reality, we focused on this, this habit of journaling, of um, taking notes during messages or maybe journaling out your prayers or writing out what you feel like God is teaching you or revealing to you. And it was super cool for students to come home and we gave them all a journal and and they started implementing that, and that was super awesome. Um, but this year, our staff and, and our volunteer team, we were all extremely excited because we knew that we were going to be focusing on Scripture and on God's Word. And really, there is nothing more powerful than God's Word. It never fails us. And this, this book is life, and it helps guide us in every area of our life, and it helps us know God, and it helps us know about ourselves 
And so we were all so excited about teaching these high school students about how to navigate God's word and, and helping them see why we should read it and how to read it and all of those really good things. We even spent one hour Saturday morning. Students spent an hour of just quiet time by themselves. It was the coolest thing. I wish y'all could have been there so you could have seen it. It was so awesome to see these students in God's word and reading and getting excited about it and asking questions. But we do this so we can help these students grow in their faith, right? These different spiritual disciplines or faith habits or practices, and, and there's multiple of them. And you probably heard about them a few months ago. Ben stood up here and talked about worship and how we can be influential with our worship. A lot of times here at CORE, you hear us talk about small groups. Small groups is another one of those spiritual disciplines or faith habits or practices. And we talk about how small groups are really good because God didn't call us to do life alone. He called us to do life in community. And then there's, there's prayer. And there's, there's these different spiritual disciplines or faith habits or practices that we all can engage in throughout the week or through our day-to-day -day lives to help us grow in our relationship with God. It's possible that there are um, spiritual disciplines that you prefer, maybe that you gravitate towards, maybe more than another. Um, and we always kind of feels like when it comes to these faith habits, it feels like there's one of them that kind of is like separate. One of them that always feels like a little bit of tension, maybe not as like fun or, or doesn't draw us in as much. One of them that kind of like is separate from the rest of them. I think y'all know where I'm going with this. It's generosity. We've been talking about generosity the past couple of weeks. And no matter how much we talk about it or how much we, like, relearn about it, it just always feels like it's separate. It always feels like, oh, that's just kind of the one. that Everything else, I feel like I always have more, you know. When I pray, I feel more connected to God. When I worship, I feel more connected to God. When I'm in a small group, I have, feel like I have more friends or I might know more because I'm doing a study or something and, and thus feel more connected to God. But when I'm generous, I just feel like I have less. I just feel like I have less. And it just seems like there's this fear for us because we're humans. There's this, always this fear around generosity that like when I give, I will, I will have less. And, and I don't really connect the dots on how I will have more. And so when it comes to generosity, kind of like sticking out, feeling separate from all of the other faith habits or faith practices, I'm, I'm just kind of curious. When it comes to growing in our faith and in light of generosity, can we just ignore it? Honestly. If there's this tension around it if we're just real. Like, like even I have it. If you don't believe me, um, last year I spoke on November, in November during Generosity Month. Stood up here and talked about generosity. And then Ben asked me to do it again. And I was like, ooh, that's generosity, man. Again, are you sure? Josh can do it. This no, I'm just kidding. But I was like, I really, there was this tension because it's like generosity, it just feels separate. It just feels different. And it's okay to admit, we kind of like all feel that way. And so, so there's this question that maybe we're wondering, so we should just address it. Can we ignore it? Can we ignore it? Because if we can, we might just want to. And the person on stage might just give us all permission to just ignore it if we can, right? And so I think we need to dive in and figure the answer to that question out this morning. If you've been around church for any period of time, core or maybe another church, or you know um, a little bit about Christianity, you've probably heard about this guy named Paul. 
See, Paul is coined or marked as like a famous Christian. He's done a lot, um, really, for the Christian faith and for sharing the gospel, which is the good news, the gospel, Jesus Christ died for us so we could be saved from our sins. So Paul has been very influential and extremely impactful um, in the church, in the, or starting the early church, he was kind of like a mentor, um, kind of like a small group leader, Paul, and he helped, uh, he helped start churches, he helped grow churches, he helped mentor people, he wrote lots of letters, so basically like most of the New Testament in your Bible, um, you know, like Romans, Ephesians, Galatians, you ever heard like, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, that's Paul, okay? So Paul, he's done a lot, he's written a lot. Lots of us have been impacted in our faith and have taken next steps in our relationship with God because of Paul's words, okay? Pretty big deal, this Paul guy. Just want to make sure that we're on the same page. So that's Paul, but Paul has not always been, wasn't always a Christian. Makes sense, neither of you and I. There was, there was a time where we accepted Jesus, same with Paul. But Paul's testimony is pretty radical, like pretty, pretty wild, so Paul didn't used to just not be a Christian. Paul used to hate Christians. It was Paul's life mission to completely end Christianity. See, in Acts, they refer to Christianity as the way, the way of Jesus. And Paul did not believe that Jesus was who he said he was. Paul believed in God and followed God and, and wanted to be um, right in God's eyes. And so he thought the way to do that was to arrest and kill people who followed Jesus. He was wrong. So he would go around and he would uh, arrest Christians and he would kill Christians. And if you read in Acts chapter 9, you, you, can, you can read Paul's conversion story where he converts to Christianity. And at the beginning of the chapter, we can read that Paul goes to the high priest and he asks for permission letters, like permission slips. He says, hey, can I go to Damascus and go into all the synagogues there and, and find Christians and arrest them? And the high priest is like, yeah, sure. And so, so Paul does. He, he gets those permission slips and he heads to Damascus to arrest Christians and presumably kill them. And so that's where I want to pick up today. Before we dive into Acts chapter 9, I just, I just want to forewarn everyone that what we're about to read, Paul's name, he's referred to as Saul, okay? Basically, all you need to know is that Paul had two names, okay? Saul, Paul, it's complicated, but it's not because they rhyme, okay? So we're talking about the same person. Um, so in Acts chapter 9, that's where I want to pick up in verse 26. Verse 26. It says, when Saul arrived in Jerusalem, so before Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he encountered, let's go back a slide, just kind of, I jumped ahead a little bit. So, so Paul is on his way to Damascus. Paul's on his way to Damascus with these permission slips to arrest Christians and to kill them. So he's on his way to Damascus, he's on the road. Can we go back one slide just to the, um, the filler, overflow, perfect, thank you. So he's on his way to arrest and kill Christians, and he's on the road, and he has this, this crazy encounter with Jesus. He's like walking with some guys, and all of a sudden, this huge bright light comes out of nowhere, and he hears this voice, and Paul is like thrown to the ground, and he's on the ground, he hears this voice, there's this bright light, he's like blinded, and he hears like, like, like Paul, Paul, and, and, and he's like, 
who are you, Lord? And he's like, it's me, Jesus, that you're persecuting. Like, why are you persecuting me? And it was, he was hearing directly from Jesus, who Paul thought, this guy is dead and gone. This guy was not who he said he was. He didn't raise from the dead. Like, he is, he's not here. Then he encounters Jesus. I'd be pretty scared if I was him, right? Like, you're, you're arresting and killing all these Christians, and now you're actually encountering Jesus. Like, seems frightening to me. So he gets up off the ground and like he's blind and Jesus starts to give him instructions of like, go to Jerusalem, this person's going to be waiting for you. And so Paul did it because he literally encountered Jesus. And so he went on and he did all these things that Jesus instructed him to do and he ended up getting baptized, declared Jesus as his Lord. And remember, he used to arrest and kill Christians. I don't know where you're at in your story or what your past is like. But this guy, Paul, he arrested Christians and he killed Christians. And then he encountered Jesus. And then he got baptized and he declared Jesus as his Lord because God still wanted a relationship with him. God still wanted him to follow Jesus. So I don't know where you're at. But no matter where you find yourself or what mistakes that you've made, there is nothing, there is nothing that can keep you from God's love. You are never too far. There is nothing that God cannot redeem. So this guy chooses to follow Jesus, which is so, so wild. I mean, if you're someone that's been in church for a while and you knew about Paul's story, like you knew, okay, Paul... Famous Christian, used to arrest and kill them. Now he is one. Now he kind of makes them, like, you know, grows, starts churches. I just want you to think about that for half a second because sometimes we get, like, callous and used to those details and those, those things. But it is, like, really wild, the, his transformation and his story. And so now he's headed to Damascus. Um, now he, he went to Damascus and he... He's following Jesus, and he gets all these instructions from Jesus. He gets baptized, and then we pick up later on in Acts chapter 9 after he becomes a Jesus follower, and in verse 26, thank you, it says, when Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with the other believers because he's like, I'm a believer now, so I got to like find my people, you know. He's like, I got to go get with the people that I'm supposed to be with because now I believe in Jesus. So he tries to meet with all the believers, but they were afraid of him. Makes sense to me. They were afraid of him because he was just arresting and killing Christians. And now this guy's like, hey, can I come hang out with you guys? And they're like afraid for their lives. They're terrified. So they were afraid of him and they didn't believe that he had truly become a believer. So this is what I, I'm pretty sure went down. These guys are like, they watch NCIS. Law and Order, Chicago, PD, that's my jam. They like watch all these long crime shows and they're like, this guy, this guy undercover. He's undercover for sure. There's no way he's not. How could he not be, you know? Like, he, yesterday he just put my cousin in prison. And today he's like trying to hang out with us. There's no way, right? Like, first of all, I'm going to the bathroom in my pants because he's about to kill me or arrest me. Like, I'm so scared. And second of all, 
this guy is like, he's fake, okay? He's not who he says he is. He's someone different. He's not following Jesus. There's just no, no way. There is no way. That, that makes sense to me. I do not blame these guys at all, this circle of believers, for saying we're afraid of you and we don't believe you because I would be in the same exact boat. We skip ahead two verses. You want to know what happens? We skip ahead two verses to verse 28, and it says, So Saul stayed with the apostles and went all around Jerusalem with them, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. What happened? They were just like, we're afraid of you. We're afraid of you. We don't believe that you're a Jesus follower. There's some undercover stuff going on right here. Like, just went to the bathroom in my pants because I'm so scared you're going to kill me. And now they're just like, it's not even just like, oh, now he's like hanging out with them. He's like chatting. No, they were like, yeah, come travel with us on our watch. Like, you can be the one preaching and teaching. So what happened? Because, guys, we're just two verses later. We're just two verses later when they went from being afraid and not believing in Paul and who he was to now Oh, yeah, they're going all around, they're traveling together, they're doing all this preaching, all these preaching gigs, like it's pretty cool. What happened in verse 27? We must find out. What does it say? Verse 27, then Barnabas, sweet name, by the way, Barnabas brought him to the apostles and told them how Saul had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus and how the Lord had spoken to Saul. He also told them that Saul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus in Damascus. Okay, so, so we're like verse 26, they're afraid, they're frightened, undercover stuff going on, you're fake, two-faced, like you're not who you say that you are. Then all of a sudden, this guy named Barnabas, this guy Barney's over here like, oh yeah, they didn't believe you. Those guys, they're just scared, it's all right, like come with me, I'll talk to them. So then Barnabas, then Barnabas brings Paul to the apostles and he's like, Hey guys, I know you're scared. I know you don't believe him, but this really happened. This really happened. He really did. He fell to the ground. He was blind for a while. Jesus talked to him, gave him some instruction. He got baptized and he started preaching like he does. He follows Jesus now. I know it's hard to believe, but he does. Like that's that's real stuff. That's really what's happening. And then and then they were just like, okay. Barnabas, we believe you. Okay, come and travel with us. Come and preach and teach with us. So then I'm over here scratching my head. You probably are too. Who is Barnabas? Because clearly this guy has some mad influence. Clearly this guy has some, some extreme credibility in the eyes of the apostles. If this guy can just be like, yeah, this really happened. He really is who he says that he is. He's, he's not joking. He really is following Jesus now. And they're just like, okay, let's go. Hop in like we're going to this place. So who is Barnabas? Because he has so much influence, so much credibility. I, we must find out who he is. That's all I'm saying. We are going to jump back to Acts chapter 4, the first place where we see Barnabas mentioned to figure out who he even is. Okay, so we jump back to Acts chapter 4. First mention of Barnabas. It's Acts 4, 36. It says, 
For instance, there was Joseph, the ones the apostles nicknamed Barnabas. Guys, his name is Joseph. It's not even Barnabas. His real name is Joseph. They nicknamed him Barnabas, like not, not even like Joe or Joey. I call my son sometimes like Bubba Bear or like Bear Bear. His name is Kelly Barrett. Like it at least connects, you know, like it makes sense. I highly doubt this Joseph's middle name is something longer than Barnabas. I don't think, I just don't think it, oh, Barnabas means son of encouragement. The apostles nicknamed Joseph Barnabas because Barnabas means son of encouragement. The apostles were like, oh yeah, Joseph? Joseph is just always over here like uplifting us with his words. Joseph is just always out here like encouraging everybody. Joseph is just always just like making us feel so good. He's just always speaking life into us. He's like uplifting us with his words. So you are no longer Joseph. You are so encouraging. Your name is Barnabas. Because Barnabas means son of encouragement. So now you have a new name. And so now I think we're starting to see a little bit why Barnabas has credibility and influence in the lives of the apostles. First of all, this dude is super encouraging. This dude is so encouraging to the apostles. But it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop there in the very next verse, verse when we're talking about Barnabas and figuring out who he is. It says, Barnabas, he sold a field he owned and brought the money to the apostles. He sold a field that he owned. And the money that he got from the field, he took it to the apostles. You know, we've been talking about generosity all month. And we talk about generosity, we... we we pull, um, we pull themes from scripture and, and evidence of like, this is, the, this is the example that was set for us as a church. This is what Jesus taught, or, or this is how the early church lived. Like, these are the examples. This is the evidence where we see that we are called to be and live generous. And so just strictly from this alone in Acts chapter 4, we can look right here and we can say, yep, this is what happened in the early church. This is how they sustained and grew the church. Like, this is what we are called to do. This is what we need to do. So I think this by itself is like, yep, we are called to be generous. If we want to further the church, God's church, if we want to see it grow, this is the example. This is what we're called to do. But then we read Acts chapter 4, and then we read Acts chapter 9 in light of Acts chapter 4. And we see that Barnabas, Barnabas was the one who gave the okay on Paul. On Paul. The guy who went on to write most of the Old Testament. The guy that went on to write words like, because of his great love for us, while we are still dead in our sins, Christ, Christ died for us. He made us alive in Christ while we were still dead. Paul was the one that wrote all of these things. You and I's faith, if you have a faith in Jesus, it's probably been impacted by this guy, Paul. In Barnabas, 
Barnabas was the guy that gave the okay for Paul to go on and preach and teach and have influence in the church. And he sold a field. He sold a field and he brought the money to the apostles. So now this guy has mad influence and credibility with the apostles. So when Barnabas says, he's okay, this really happened, they're like, okay. And so we can read Acts chapter 4 by itself and say, yep, we are instructed to give, we're instructed to be generous. This is how we sustain and grow the church. But then we go on Acts chapter 9, we're like, it's so much bigger than that. It's way bigger than that because I guarantee you that Barnabas had no idea. He had no idea what he was doing when he said, yep, I'm going to sell the field. Like, I have no idea. Was he in real estate? Did he have five fields? Did he have ten fields? Did he have just one that he sold? I don't know. I don't know how big of a decision that was for him or how hard that was for him, but my guess is just like back then, today, just like today, back then, it was really hard to sell a field that you owned and give all of the money to the church. It probably wasn't easy. And maybe there was this temptation of like, uh, maybe John will give. John's got one more field than me. Maybe he'll sell his and give his money. But I bet Barnabas, not sitting up in heaven right now saying, oh, I wish I would have just let John sell his field and give the money. No, because Barnabas now can see it all. He can see the impact that he had when he sold his field and when he gave the money. And now he sees like that Paul went on to do all these things and Barnabas got to play a role in it and have a hand in it. And now it impacted people's lives and souls in eternity. So many people for thousands of years. We read all this. Barnabas selling his field, giving the money. And I think we can confidently conclude that generosity, generosity allows us to take a part in God changing people's hearts. Generosity allows us to take part in God changing people's hearts. Y'all, it's not just about money. God doesn't need your money. But when you say yes to him, he wants to do something that's worth so much more than the money. When you trust him, he wants to use you to impact people's lives and souls and eternities. If you give here at CORE, if you give here at CORE, if you're generous, I just want to say thank you. I don't know. Maybe we don't say it enough. Maybe we don't let you in enough on, on what's happening as a result of your generosity. But as a student director, I have to say thank you. I told you two weeks ago we took 25 high school students up to vertical reality. 
And, and these students heard the gospel. They heard the good news. There were students who accepted Jesus into their lives and decided to live for him for the very first time. And there were students who learned and grasped handles on God's word and are now uh, regularly diving into it and studying it and letting it change their lives. But guess what? Four of those students from here, four We helped them get to vertical reality. You, if you give here at CORE, you helped them get there. There were four students that we sent on some sort of scholarship or aid. So if you give here at CORE, I want you to know that people's lives, eternities, souls, people's faiths are being impacted because of your yes, because of your generosity, and that always happens. There are always things, just like Barnabas, there are always things that you can't see that are taking place. God changing hearts as a result of generosity. And I don't think it's just like, you know, always other people's hearts. I think there's something he's trying to do in us too when it comes to generosity, when it comes to, to trusting in God? Is it okay? I hope it's okay if I'm honest with you guys this morning. I can't really, I think you're going to say yes, so I'm just going to keep going. Um, recently, God's been working in my heart a lot in light of generosity. Convenient, right? As a church, if you've been around here, even just this morning, I guess, listening to Josh, we've talked a lot recently about, um, we had this global launch day, and we launched a new care point, or are launching a new care point, um, thanks to y'all's generosity, in Odudu, Uganda. And there were tons, tons of kids that we've gotten sponsored because of y'all's generosity. And, and individually and collectively, we've been able to make a huge difference, which is amazing and, and really honors God and excites his heart, I believe. But in preparation for Global Launch Day, you know, as a staff, we started talking about Global Launch Day and, and this care point and, and these kids that need sponsored and, and all of these things and, and this goal and and, and it, felt like, it felt like so many people were so excited about it. But I really wasn't. I was having a really, really hard time with it all. I've never been to Africa. I've never been to Uganda. I've never been on an out-of-country mission trip. And so when there was so much excitement around all of this and I was just sitting here with questions, hesitations, reservations, maybe concerns or doubt, I don't know, maybe you were there. Maybe that's you. Maybe you've walked in the past couple weeks and saw the hut and the photos and tasted the really good coffee. And maybe you've just felt like, mm, I'm just not really sure about this cause. I just don't really understand all the details of really what's happening with the money that's being given 
Maybe it hasn't added all up for you. But you're not alone, because I was there. But then I read about Barnabas. Then I read the story of Barnabas. And I felt like God was just asking me to trust him. Des, will you just trust me? Not all the answers, not all the clarity, not all the details. Will you just trust me? And so I did. We wrote the check. We sponsored the child. We didn't write a check. We're Gen Z. I did the online thing. But we sponsored the child and we gave. And I'm not telling you, and I'm not telling you all this because I'm saying like, ooh, look at me. I was faithful. I'm telling you all this because I could never ask you to do something that I'm not willing to do. So I need you to know, and I need you to know that I wasn't fully there at first. But God just asked me to trust him. And I also, I just hope that y'all will see, like I have been able to recently, is, is that it's about so much more than the money. And I even personally think it's about so much more than meeting immediate needs. It's about people's souls and eternities. It's about people going from death to life. It's about people spending eternity with Jesus, with their heavenly father. It's way bigger than what we try to put generosity into this little tiny box of ours. It's way bigger than that. And we try to figure out all, all of the things. And, and I also, I just, I can't help but wonder, you know, when, when Barnabas, when he was there and he heard that the believers were scared and that they didn't believe him, I can't believe that it was easy for Barnabas to just be like, oh yeah, come with me, like, he probably didn't believe it at first either. He probably what sat there, and, and I, I just feel this, I relate with this so much, like trying to rattle your brain around, I just don't get it, I'm just trying to understand, I just don't feel like I have all the answers. Like, don't you think Barnabas was probably like, God, I don't know, he, used to, he was just killing and arresting your people just like last week, like, can you even ever become a Christian when you were just killing and arresting them? Like, I just don't get it, I can't wrap my mind around it. But he had to trust God. He had to have trusted God, right? He had to have. And the only way that it makes sense to me that he was able to trust God with something that big is because he had already trusted God with something really big. He sold the land. He gave the money. He was in the practice of trusting God. The only way that it was possible for him to trust God was something that big. Y'all, can we ignore generosity in light of our faith, in light of growing in Christ, in light of being the church? Can we ignore generosity? Maybe. Maybe. 
but I don't want to. I don't want to miss it. I don't want to miss it. If there really is that much more going on that we can't see, if there, if there really is, if it really comes down to people's souls in eternities, if Barnabas is sitting up in heaven looking down like, oh yeah, that person's reading Ephesians right now, and that person's just got saved by a pa- like through a passage in Romans, and Barnabas is like, I'm so glad that I sold the land. I don't want to miss out on something like that. And I don't want you to either. I don't want to miss out. It's possible that recently, or maybe in your whole life, you've struggled with generosity. You're not alone. If you're someone who's had hesitations when it comes to being generous or or specific causes um, to be generous towards, Maybe now, after hearing Barnabas' story, maybe you're wondering what could be on the other side of generosity for you. Here's where I want to encourage you today. Here's why I want to challenge you. Is that as we wrap up this, this series called Overflow, this generosity month, observe every opportunity to be generous. Observe every opportunity to be generous because there will be so many and I'm not standing up here saying you better give to every single one of them or you better be generous every single time but there are so many opportunities to take part in God-changing hearts and I'm just asking that you would pay attention to see them. And it's not always generous with your finances. Last week, Ben stood up here and talked about being generous with your time. Where is there an opportunity for you to serve or for you to be generous with your time? What might God have for you on the other side of being generous with your time? Barnabas, we saw the impact and the influence that he gained from being generous with his words. Where are there opportunities for you to encourage somebody? Where are you holding back or being hesitant or avoiding encouraging someone or being generous with your words and financially? What could be on the other side of generosity for you when it comes to your finances? Observe all of these opportunities because there will be so many. Will you choose to take part in God-changing hearts? Will you choose to say yes? hope you will. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you. Um, thank you for the example that you set of generosity in Barnabas, and thank you for so clearly showing us a picture about how generosity is so much bigger than anything we can wrap our minds around because you are so much bigger, Lord. We will never have you fully figured out. We'll never understand all of the ways in which you work. But God, thank you for wanting us to play a part in you changing people's hearts. Lord, show each of us the next step that you have for us. Show us clearly where you are inviting us to trust you. God, lead us, lead us in that trust and lead us to follow you even more.
God, we love you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.